0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of K10 Music and Memories, where I give you some facts about music and a few reminiscences of my own. Today, we're going to be hitting the next stop on our tour, which is the 90s, volume one. I was in high school and college in the 90s. A lot of music I heard during that time, and some of these are the signature songs of both my high school and my college experience. Let's. We're not going to waste a lot of time. We're going to get right into this. We're going to start with our first track. It's. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday by Boys to Men. This was Motown single number 168 7 It Was also issued as a cassette single. This was released August 1991. Peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 in December 1991. Also hit number one on the R&B chart. This is from the album Cooley High Harmony. It's a cover of the same song sung by G.C. Cameron on the soundtrack of the movie Cooley High, hence the title of the Boys to Men album. The radio edit of this song, it has a light instrumental backing, but the original acapella version was the bigger hit. This was covered by Jason Mraz and Angela Aki, among others. This song I remember vividly because this was the definitive anthem of my senior year in high school. Every senior class, when they graduate, has an anthem a song that is associated with graduating some some later classes had everybody's free to wear sunscreen by boz lerman some of them had vitamin c's graduation friends forever this was ours Uh, my i was class of 92 at brecksville high school this was our signature song our senior year was it so hard to say goodbye to yesterday and i remember i believe we we did it they did a video yearbook that year for our class. And that played at the end over footage from near the end of our time at the high school. And it brought a lot of, you get a lot of verklempt and a lot of bittersweet memories flowing when you see that clip. And this was the definitive song, although I didn't get my first copy of this, first recording of this song, I didn't get until I was in college because my friend Victor had the CD and one night he loaned it to me and I went down and I burned it or I dubbed it off onto a cassette and that was my first copy of it. I didn't get my own CD of it until years later. I don't know if I have Cooley High Harmony, but I do know that I believe I have, I do know I have the Boys to Men Greatest Hits album with this song on it. And this is one of my, it's my, one of my favorite acapella songs ever. And it's absolutely great when you're to sing along with in the car, even though they get kind of high and it's hard when you have a low voice, but this was absolutely great. And I, uh, the, I, whenever I hear it, I always think of high school cause this was our anthem near the end of our time at high school. Now we're going to take 10 seconds and the next song we're going to do is another song that was big when I was in high school and it was the ultimate original grunge anthem. Be back in 10 seconds. And we're back. The next song we're gonna cover is an absolute classic of the grunge era and the ultimate ultimate grunge anthem. It Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. It's from the album Nevermind. It was also issued as DGC sub-pop single number DGCS7-19050. This was released September 1991, and it peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. This is Nirvana's signature song, the most famous cover of this song was the parody by Weird Al Yankovic called Smells Like Nirvana. We'll get into that later. Believe me, we'll get into Weird Al plenty later, and we'll cover that when we can. But for now, I just wanted to put that out there that this, that was the most famous cover of the song. Also, I have a Gregorian chant cover by a group on a CD called Chant Mania by a group called the Benzedrine Monks of Santo Domonica. In case you don't know who that group is, the group is better known as Big Daddy. Remember Big Daddy I told you about in my early, my previous episode? Well, for kicks they did they decided since they mastered the art of doing retro 50s covers of 80s and 90s songs, they decided to go further back and do a CD of Gregorian chant covers of 80s, 60s, 80s and 90s pop songs. This was before the group Gregorian was a thing. And this was their cover, Smells Like Teen Spirit, was on there. So if you ever want to hear what great Smells Like Teen Spirit sounds like as a grunge anthem, take your shot at it. It is on iTunes. But I remember this song when Nirvana's song came, when Nirvana came out in general, I remember in high school, everybody was like, have you heard Nirvana? This is awesome. Have you heard Nirvana? And I didn't know what Nirvana was, or I, I had a rough idea of it, and I, but I never heard the original Nirvana song until years after I was in high school. I think I got my first copy after I got my copy of the Weird Al parody. Cause even when the Weird Al parody came out, I hadn't really heard of the song. And then once I heard the parody, I went back and said, I got to get the original and see what this sounds like. And they're both pretty, they're both great. And this is one of those songs that also is a great workout song as an aside. It's got that up-tempo and that power and energy to it that you could probably use it to power through a workout. But this was... Nirvana was the biggest thing my last year in high school. And everybody was bringing... I think they brought cassettes of it to school. They had dubs, you know, tapes of dubs of the album. I think they had their first album. Some of them had the first album, too. But this was the album. When it hit, it was the biggest thing. Biggest thing. When Nevermind hit, was the biggest album, I think. And... Everybody was talking, have you heard Nirvana? This is absolutely great. I remember hearing everybody in high school saying it. And this could have if it hadn't been for the Boys to Men song, this might have also been another one of our top anthems as we were graduating. Well, we're going to take 10 seconds here. And the next song we're going to talk about is a song I was introduced to by Brad, my brother Brad, and it became a mainstay in my collection after that. We'll be right back in 10 seconds. And we're back the next track we're going to talk about is a classic 90s alt pop anthem this one was it had a retro vibe to it including the music video and this was quite possibly the song that broke this band in the u.s it's buddy holly by weezer this was issued as a 45 in the u in the united kingdom there was no single release in the u.s this is from the album weezer aka the blue album reason it's called the Blue Album, it's the album with the picture of the band on the cover with a bright blue background behind it and the word Weezer up in the corner. This did not chart on the Billboard Hot 100. It was released in September 1994, and the music video was also special as it featured the band placed into footage from the old 70s television show Happy Days. I remember seeing that video, and I read about it when I researched this, that apparently that wasn't done with a computer or anything. They were filmed on a soundstage and then the footage was dropped. The fo- the footage from Happy Days was built in around them. So that's how it worked. And I remember hearing that you know because late in the video you have the footage of Fonzie dancing across in front while they're playing. That at one point they gave a gold or platinum record to Henry Winkler as a thank you for allowing them to use the footage of the fawns in the video. So this was a big deal. And it was one of those big pop anthems of the 90s. And like I said, it was I discovered it because Brad had the album and he was playing it all over the place. I think my mom liked it. it one, My mom was into it too. And I liked it so much that I made the effort to go out. the One of the next couple of times I was at the record store, I went out and grabbed my own copy of it because I didn't want to have to borrow Brad's. So I ended up with my own copy. I got my own copy of it, and I have it to this day. There's some other good songs on that album, but this is their signature song, and this is the song that pretty much put Weezer on the map. And it's an absolute classic, and it harkens back to the 50s and 60s, and it's absolutely great. It's ingenious. It's great. The video's great. And like I said, I remember, and I still thank Brad to this day for bringing the Weez- the original Weezer album home. Otherwise, I never would have found this song. Because I think I remember being in his room when he was playing it. And then later on, I said, I got to get my own copy of it. And it wasn't long after that that I managed to grab my own copy of the CD. And that's not the first Brad album that I have my own copy of. And some of the ones I have are Brad's cast-offs that he didn't want anymore. So... But this one I got my own copy myself and I have it to this day and it's, I also have it in my iTunes and it's a mainstay whenever I'm playing music in the car. If I go into the 90s, this is a mainstay to be played. Now we're gonna take five, uh, 10 seconds. We're gonna come back with a song that I first heard when I was in college. We'll be right back in 10 seconds. And we're back. Next track we're gonna talk about, we're gonna jump forward a little bit to the end of my, to the middle of my second year in college. This is when I was firmly established with hanging out with Victor and some of his friends. And one of them, Ryan, was a big, he loved Europop and, you know, alternative music. And this, I remember him having this CD and I think this is the first place I heard the song and then after I heard it, I went to I went to the record store to track down my own copy of it because I wanted it. I believe I had the cassette single and I had the CD, but I'm not sure. The song is The Sign by Asa Bass. There was no single 45 release, but like I said, it was issued as a CD single in the U.S. They got a 45 in the U.K. and Netherlands. This is from the album Happy Nation, also known as The Sign. Now, in the U.S., you will find, I believe you will find copies of the cd with both titles but it's the same album one was the u.s title one was the international title and i believe at some point they just gave up and sent copies of the sign over here and got rid of happy nation and balanced everything out the song was released in 1993 it peaked at number one on the billboard hot 100 in march of 94. this this spent six non-consecutive weeks at number one there are no notable covers of this song like I said, I heard this the first time I heard this. I believe I was hanging out in Ryan's apartment talking to him, Vic, and Jason while Ryan surfed the Internet. And it, his usual barrage of alt rock and euro pop on. And this came on. And because the CD was sitting out, I was able to figure out pretty quickly what he was playing. And like I said, I believe my first grab was the cassette single. I went to a record store and grabbed a cheap cassette single. And then I upgraded to the CD later on. And it's absolutely great. It's one of up for some reason in the era of grunge, you had these acts occasionally that were outside the box that played these pop up-tempo anthems, and this is one of them. Didn't fit the 90s ma- mindset as far as I'm concerned in some ways, but it absolutely was huge. It was, a, it was, like I said, it was a hit, number one hit. It was great. Everybody loved it, and it's pretty much Ace of Base's signature hit. If 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 all that she wants is not their biggest hit, their signature hit. Now we're gonna take 10 seconds and then we're gonna hit one of our first, another big hit from the 90s that was that is the biggest hit for an artist who whose first album to me is even better than is better than this one. And this isn't even my favorite song of his, but it's his biggest hit ever. We'll be right back in 10 seconds. And we're back. The next track we're going to talk about is an absolute classic from the mid-90s. It was a comeback hit for a guy who had an album in the 70s that was a cult hit. And this, uh, the album this was on was the sequel to that album, and it became even bigger than the first album did, even though I still think his first album's even better. The song is I Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That by Meat Loaf. This was MCA single number MCA s 7 54626 This was also released as a cassette single released in September of 1993 it peaked at number 1 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart This was Meatloaf's first and currently his only number 1 hit The album version is roughly 7 minutes longer than the single This is from the album Bat Out of Hell 2 Back into Hell the sequel to Bat Out of Hell which was released in the mid 70s this song won the Grammy for Best Rock Vocal Performance Male. There were no significant covers. However, this was used in an m and commercial during Super Bowl 47. And it was used in the movie Sausage Party where it was sung by, no surprise here, a singing meatloaf. This, I remember when this first came out, I believe I was at school at Kent and I may have been at a house council meeting or somewhere, and somebody was coming around saying, Meatloaf's got a new album coming out. And I knew Meatloaf because I loved his album, Bat Out of Hell. And when I found out, not only was it a new album, it was a sequel to Bat Out of Hell. I was like, he's putting out a new Bat Out of Hell. And I was originally skeptical, but when the album became a hit, I went, I, the same time it became a hit was when I had made one of my first trips up to Chapel Hill and at Chapel Hill mall in Akron from Kent. And I went to their little Camelot music they had at the time. And I remember grabbing this song on cassette single. I took it home and I listened to it and it was absolutely great. I said, this, this is perfect. This is vintage meatloaf. I still like his stuff from the first album though, better than this, but it's absolutely great. And it's his only number one hit. And it's pretty much his signature song other than possibly paradise by the dashboard light this is his signature song and i read i go on wikipedia to research these things and one of the biggest mysteries in music for a while was what what does it mean by that in the phrase but i won't do that what is that if you read wiki the wikipedia entry on this song you have to follow the lyrics of the song, and the lyrics do tell you what that is. But in the interest of saving time and tape space here, I'm not gonna to try to go into it in, in extent, but it's there. If you read the notes on Wikipedia, it tells you exactly what that is. This was the video, music video of this was a retelling of Beauty and the Beast, with Meatloaf, obviously, is the beast. And I remember the video, you had the flowing curtains, you had everything in this video. It was an absolute work of art when it came out. And this was absolutely, it was a great song, not my favorite Meatloaf song, but this is absolutely, it was a perfect comeback vehicle for him. And, and it was fitting that it ended up, it num- ended up topping the charts for a while. And like I said, the you can there are cds that have the single version on there you just have to dig a little bit because the album version again is seven minutes longer than the than the single but if you like the song that much the 12 minute song will do you much better than the five minute will. okay well we're going to take a quick stop here for 10 seconds and we're going to hit another major hit from the early 90s a movie hit that was the big monster hit Big Monster Hit and is the signature song for the person who sang this version of the song. Be back in 10 seconds. And we're back. The next track we're going to cover is a movie soundtrack classic from the early 90s. It is the that classic, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. This was Arista single number 08. This was released November 1992. It peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in January of 1993. This is, of course, from the soundtrack to The Bodyguard. This spent a then-record 14 weeks at number one and is the best-selling single by a female artist. This, uh, This topped the U.S. iTunes charts hours after Whitney Houston died in 2012. This was the first song to to hit number one on two different occasions since The Twist. This is a cover of Dolly Parton's song that she originally recorded in 1974 and then re-recorded in 1982 for the movie The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Houston's version was number one on the Hot 100 adult contemporary and R&B charts simultaneously for five straight weeks, Tying the record held by Ray Charles' I Can't Stop Loving You. Houston won Grammys for this record for Record of the Year and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. The single sold over 4 million copies and is apparently second only to Elton John's Candle, of the Wind, Candle in the Wind 1997. At Houston, Whitney Houston tributes after, your, after her death. This song was covered by Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson. And also, I love this. I looked this up. You, the crazy things you learn on YouTube. And I really got to sit down and get caught up on the Marvel movies because this was also played at the beginning of the Marvel movie Spider-Man Far From Home as a tribute to all of the Avengers who died because of Thanos' finger snap in Avengers Endgame. Yes, they used this to play over music of super... image of, of to play tribute to superheroes who died as a result of thanos snapping his finger while wearing the infinity gauntlet now when this song came out it was everywhere the the bodyguard soundtrack was everywhere the song was everywhere it was on the radio everywhere you couldn't escape it television everything was in the commercial for the movie everything it's whitney houston's signature song it's an absolute absolute 90s classic I got my first copy, I got the, I got the. I pulled the Bodyguard soundtrack from the, the uh, dollar bin at the Exchange, which is a great treasure trove of old 90s, 90s pop chestnuts. If you're ever looking for a pop song from the 90s and you can't find it in the main music rack, check the dollar bin up front by the register. You might just find a copy and there may not be in the best shape, but it'll probably be playable because you get all the all the chestnuts and all the stuff where the album was replaced by something better or was remastered and the old one dumps in there. And I believe that's where I got my copy of The Bodyguard. It was either that or I got it from the used pile at a FYE or Camelot Music. But I remember getting my hands on it. I also have at least one Whitney Houston hits disc with that song on it. It's absolutely great and it is a pure 90s chestnut. And whenever you listen to 90s radio, you will not be able to escape this. It will come up at some point. And they played it. I remember when Whitney Houston died. I believe they were playing it on the radio all the time. You couldn't escape it. And like I said, this is one of the most inescapable pop songs of the 90s. Next up is... is We're going to jump five years ahead to another pop classic from the late 90s, which is absolutely one of the most famous teen pop anthems of the 1990s. And we'll be right back with that in 10 seconds. Well, we're back and we're ready for the next song. This is another Chestnut from the late 90s, a classic teen pop anthem and the signature song for the band that recorded this. We're talking about Umbop by Hanson. This was Mercury single number 314-574-260-7. This was released April 1997. Peaked on number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. It's from the album Middle of Nowhere. They did one recording prior to the hit version in 95 that sounds slightly different and has a slower tempo. There are no significant covers of this. I remember when this came out, I believe one of the first times I saw it, was at the time I was probably home from school for the summer and we usually had the TV on and occasionally you would land on something like Nickelodeon and Nickelodeon used to have these shows where they'd bring teen artists on, they'd interview them and they'd have them play their big hit and I believe this was one of them. They played, they went on one of these shows and played Mbop and I absolutely loved it and I remember it wasn't long after that I was at the record store I believe it was Town, but it may have been, I, I didn't have my driver's license until fall of the same year. So it's very possible that I got it in the summer. I may have been one of the first times I drove on my own to the mall or something was when I got this, but I'm not hundred percent sure. But I do know that it wasn't long after I heard it that I went and grabbed a copy at the record store, and was, and I still have that to this day. It's like I said, they. I probably also heard it on Nickelodeon because they were on some show and they played the song for the crowd. This is Hanson's signature song. If you hear the name Hanson, band name Hanson, this is the first song you think of. This is the first song most anybody thinks of when they think of Hanson. They never topped it. Quite frankly, I don't think they ever will. (laughs) Because this thing was absolutely huge when it came out, and they've never been able... They've had hits, but they've never been able to top it since. Well, we're going to take a quick 10-second break, and we're going to delve back into the world of R&B with a mid-'90s R&B classic that was everywhere at the time. It was inescapable and it's still everywhere to this day. Be back in 10 seconds. And we're back. Our next track is a classic R&B nugget from the mid-90s and a true monster song again like like i will always i will always love you that was inescapable at the time the song is unbreak my heart by tony braxton this is LaFace single number 73008-24200-7 this was released october 1996 peaked at number one on the billboard hot 100 and stayed there for 14 weeks this also spent 14 weeks on top of the adult contemporary chart It has been covered by Il Devo and Weezer, among others. This is from Braxton's album, Secrets. And again, this was inescapable when it came out. It was inescapable for years after. Anytime you listen to any station that played 90s pop, you were getting this at some point. You put the 90s station on Sirius XM, you're gonna get it. I have the, because at the time I got my copy of this, I was trying to compile a collection of the biggest hits of the 90s, and this came to mind. And I believe this was another grab, may have been another grab from the dollar bin at at the exchange, or it could have been a grab from the cheapy bin at Walmart. Because I think I've seen Tony Braxton hits discs in the cheap bin, like the $3 bin at Walmart. It might have been from there as well. Because that's another great play. If you're looking for classic pop, You have to be careful though they do put some even cheaper stuff in there that's re-records but if you look if you look for the right stuff you'll find good cheap copies of of 90s chestnuts in there and i i believe i got this at the exchange i don't think i bought this at walmart and this is a pure 90s chestnut and again like i said every time you turn on a 90s station i Willing to bet cash money within two or three hours, you're going to hear this. And this is also the kind of song they would play at night when you have the late night DJ on who talks to the lovelorn and the people having problems with their relationship. This is one of those songs you probably hear during those sessions. And the music video for this was like it was the anatomy of a, it was dramatization of a breakup and the boyfriend, I think, gets hit by a car, gets shot. It was a hyper dramatic thing, but it fit the song perfectly. And again, this was another classic 90s, unavoidable 90s classic. And anytime you turn on the 90s station, you're going to hear this a lot like the Whitney Houston, I will always love you. You'll hear, you know, 90s era Bon Jovi and you'll hear this. And I'm sure you have a radio stations somewhere in the world. an average of once a day gets a request for it and plays it. now, we're going to go for a 10-second break here. And the next song we're going to talk about is an absolute classic from an album that pretty much wormed its way through my entire family except my dad. And the, the album of what I, that this came from is one of, the most, one of the more iconic albums in our family's history. We'll be right back in 10 seconds. And we're back. The next song we're going to talk about is an absolute classic that wormed its way through my family. The album is on, I believe everybody except my dad in our family has owned a copy of this CD at one point or another. The song is The Distance by Cake. There was no U.S. single release. This is from the album Fashion Nugget. I don't have to say that for my family. My family doesn't know what Cake album this is on. We all don't own copies of it. This was released in October 1996. This did not reach the Billboard Hot 100, but peaked at number four on Billboard's Modern Rock charts. This song was covered by Reliant K, and it was was covered as a bonus track on the music, on on the Alvin and the Chipmunks music game, Alvin and the Chipmunks, for the PlayStation 2. And I also have to mention one other cover. It was a remix of the song that focuses on the first song, of the sign of... Line of the song Reluctantly Crouched on the Starting Line, done by Neil Sasergia. That's C-I-C-I-E-R-G-A. I had to mention him because my brother mentioned him the last time we were together for dinner. And he said he mentioned this guy, that guy, and he does a lot of these re- weird remixes of old songs. And this is on the album that he was that Brad was pushing. And when I noticed that he had done a cover so I had to mention it. So Brad, if Brad's listening, this is a song that was, that there was, there's a Neil Siserge cover of, which is, I haven't heard it yet, but I'm probably going to track it down one of these days on, on YouTube and listen to it. This song also appeared in an episode of the Simpsons and it was used in the trailer for the movie turbo. You know, the movie about the snail that wants to be a racer, that turbo. And it, fits for the trailer. Now, as I said, this song was on the album Fashion Nugget, and this is one of those albums, one of the few albums that wormed its way through my entire family. Grant or Brad got it first, then the other one got it second, then my mom got it, and then I eventually was the last one to get my own copy of the CD, which I have now. And the, they used to, we used to, it used to play all over the place in our house. My mom would have it on the CD player. Brad would play it. Grant would play it. Everybody would play it. And it wasn't just this song. You had their their cover of "I Will Survive," the Gloria Gaynor tune, and some other good songs that everybody liked. But this is the signature song. And the funny thing is, I associate this song with Grant more than I, my brother Grant, than I do anybody else. In fact. I wholeheartedly could see this being his personal anthem. Not that he was a race car driver or anything, but this is the kind of workout song, you know, he's always pushing himself to do more and, you know, keep playing soccer and this, that, and the other thing. And I always imagined that if Grant ever got into pro wrestling, this would be his entrance music. And it'd just be absolutely great to honor the album that, the album Fashion Nugget that everybody in our family had at one point or another. That was that this is, of all the songs on this album, this is the one I remember the most from that album. And I I have it on iTunes. I have the CD. And this is absolutely great. It's a must-listen if you like stuff like this that'll get you pumped up for a workout. And this is, like I said, this is the one, the only person in our family that does not own their own copy of Cake's Fashion Nugget is my dad. At the time we were listening to this, he was probably still listening to the age-old Bob Seger cassette in the tape player in the old Honda Accord, unless we'd already switched cars at that point. But we had the Honda Accord all the way to, all the way till I was out of college. We had it. So I don't know if Dad had a new car at this point or not, but if he didn't, he was probably playing a Bob Seger tape while we were all listening to, to Cake in the CD player at home. Well, we're going to take a quick 10 second break and we're going to hit our last track which is another movie classic from the late 90s. An absolute this one was a monster again, another one of those monster movie hits that was everywhere. And we'll be right back in 10 seconds. And we're back. We're about to hit our last stop on the tour of the 90s. This is an absolute epic movie song. I dare say it's probably a little more epic than the Whitney Houston song because the movie that came from one best picture and was one of was the biggest grossing movie of all time for a while until Avatar, I think Avatar, The Avengers, and Star Wars Episode 7 topped it. The movie in question was Titanic and the song in question is My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. This was not released as a 45 in the United States but it was released as a CD and a cassette single. This was released in December 1997. It peaked at number 1 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts in early 98 on the Titanic soundtrack. This is found on the Titanic soundtrack and the follow-up album Back to Titanic as well as Celine Dion's album Let's Talk About Love, and pretty much on every Celine Dion hits disc you could ever find has it. The version on Celine Dion's album Let's Talk About Love is what I call the single version with a different ending than the soundtrack version. The version on Back to Titanic has dialogue from the movie interspersed throughout the song. The song has won won many awards, including Grammys for Record and Song of the Year, and it won the Oscar for Best Original Song, among plenty of other rewards. I mean, I think it got Billboard Awards. Anything you could possibly think of, it got that year. I think it also got the Golden Globe for Best Original Song from a dramatic movie. I remember when this came out, it was all over the radio. I hadn't seen Titanic yet. I didn't see it for the first time until I went to visit my... Uh, ex-girlfriend Joni in Indianapolis, and we decided to go out and see it. It's a really good movie, very dramatic, a little bit scary, I wouldn't recommend it for kids, but this song was a monster. It was on the soundtrack, it was everywhere. On the radio, there was a music video on television. You had eight billion people parodying the the scene from Titanic where they're standing on the railing at the front end of the boat feeling the wind in their hair with this song. Either this song playing or the instrumental version playing or something. You have this parodied by everybody. Anybody that's ever done Spoof of Titanic has this song playing in the background. Um, There were a couple of notable covers that I can, that I know of. In the previous episode we did with the five instrumentals, five covers, I covered the instrumental version by the surf band, Low Straight Jackets. Also, Big Daddy, who I mentioned in that episode, did their cover of it, which I think was released as a bonus track on their Greatest Hits album, because I don't think it was released on any of their other albums. So it had to be released on the Greatest Hits album. And that one had, I believe it was made up to kind of sound like Sea Cruise by Frankie Ford. I believe I haven't heard it in a while. I'll have to drag it up and see what it sounds like. I should have done that before I did this, but that's me. Sometimes I don't do the right research, but this was an absolute classic. It is Celine Dion's signature song, and I don't think Celine Dion can ever get through another concert in her life without having to sing this at least once. Now, when we get to the 2010s, there's another song from the 2010s That's one of the signature Disney songs of all time that I don't think that the artist that sings that song is probably going to be in the same boat for the rest of her life because she'll never be able to get away without singing her song as well. But we'll talk about that when we get there. But this was absolutely crazy. I have I bought the Titanic soundtrack first because I was looking for that because I heard the 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 single version on the radio. I bought the soundtrack version. It wasn't the ending was different. I bought back to Titanic thinking that the ending would be the version you hear on the radio, but then they had the audio clips from Titanic interspersed in. And then later after that, I found out it was on Celine Dion's album, Let's Talk About Love. And from doing a little research, I found out that that was the version with the, the tighter ending, the different ending that I liked from the radio. I prefer the radio version to the soundtrack version. Both of them are fine, and the radio version has a slightly different instrumentation than the radio version, than the soundtrack version, but I, I, approve, I prefer the single version because I like the way it ended better. And I always sit there and say, they should have used that version rather than the soundtrack, but it wasn't my choice. And I remember you still can't escape this to this day. If you listen to 90s radio, it's going to pop up at some point. And I'm sure it's been played at countless weddings. And it's been, it's, it will forever, it'll forever be linked with Celine Dion and Titanic. You'll never be able to have one without the other. And it was, Like I said, it was one of the biggest hits of the late 90s until the end of the 90s when the boy bands came along. (laughs) But we'll get to that the next time we do the 90s. As for now, we're done with our little journey through the 90s here. So I'm going to leave you and I'll talk to you again real soon. This is Keith Phillips signing off for K10 Music and Memories. Wishing you a good morning, good evening, or good night, wherever you may be. And I will talk to you again soon.